everyone, and we're live. You're tuning to Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. And today I have a very interesting individual in the studio with me. So I have been asked by three separate individuals who shall not be named, but they know who they are, to get this fine gentleman onto the podcast. Kiola, welcome to the podcast. Could you introduce yourself and tell the listeners who might not know who you are, what, what you do? Hello, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name is Kiola. I'm the founder of Bunker Bunker. We are in, we are pseudo FMB. Okay, okay. We, are, we are FMB, lah, right? But um, uh, I will introduce myself as a designer. And uh, yeah, I run Bunker and we, we do a lot of uh, collaborations uh, pushing local subculture. And we use uh, the FMB aspect to, as a tool to bring people together. Yeah. Could you please exp- expound on the, that last sentence that you said, using FMB to explore local subculture and to bring local subculture together. Could you just mm. explain why why is that important to you? Okay. Um, so I used to work for local non-profit design organization called Participate in Design. Mm. And we do a lot of community engagement um, on the ground, you know, like uh, talking to the men on the street, uh, workshops for the community, whether it's private or public, right? Like government projects or not. But one thing we we always know to do is to use food and drinks to draw the crowd. And people, whether it's uh, the initial part where, oh, there's food and drinks, let me go and get some. Mm. Or like when they sit down and the food and drinks appear and then they, they are there for much longer period, which allows you to facilitate for more more in immense like uh engagement. Mm. Yeah, and, and it uh, beautiful things happen, you know, when you can sit people down even strangers, right? Yeah. And and then something will come out of it through through the proper facilitation. Yep. Yeah. So food and drinks. Like, I think really that is um the 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 special tool. Yep. Right. And any 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 the um, it's every single culture, you know, yep. will have their 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 own way of sitting down over a meal or a drink or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Was there a particular reason why you chose to start working for a non-profit? Like what, what was attractive about it? Uh, actually, because I went to design school and I hated it. Fair, that's, right. that's like 90% of the people that yeah. go through design school. And I, was, <laughs> and, uh, and I hated it because my prospects didn't attract me at all. What, what were they? I didn't want to be a sales designer or, mm. or you know, like, Maybe at that point I was still I was still quite young, right? So I I I was like, oh my god, I'm just gonna end up drawing floor plans and doing 3D every day, and I hated that, you know, like, and and I never saw a way that I could just um go to designing, you know, direct into a into a job that allows me to design rather than to apply technical skills. Mm, so there is a difference between the two, right? Yeah, and. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And and I saw my friends, my peers actually, I was out of army at that point. My peers were volunteering for this design organization, mm-hmm. their non-profit. And they were talking to the people like downstairs at the HTV mm. and they were doing volunteer work. So I went, I was like, oh cool. And then I clicked in and I saw this company, you know, like working together with the community and stuff like that. So I was like, ah, you know, like if, if I'm going to be a designer and do like all that boring stuff, the technical application stuff, like, I want to at least like, you know, be able to work with the community and, and it just seems, seemed very interesting as, as, as an alternative 
you know there was nothing else like it mm. yeah and until now, I feel like they are still quite special, you know. Like, yep. Yeah. What were some of the lessons like this this particular point in your journey taught you? Because I find it the most interesting. Uh, because as you said, let's say uh, going through design school, the prospect mm. is either you want to join an ad agency or you yeah. want to go out into more commercial design. But the decision to go into something like a non-profit, uh, com- community-based focused design, I think that's quite interesting. So I want to know, like, at that point in your life, what were some of the lessons that it, it taught you? Um, the first thing was understanding what a non-profit organization is so, in Singapore. So, so what do you understand it to be before and after? <laughs> yeah. So before I thought I was like, oh, you know, like, um, it's probably going to be like charity work. Mm. And I was fine with that because like, I mean, I guess that's a good cause, like, right? And, and to be able to do it as a designer, it's, it's like, oh, it's some, this is something that I'm good at and I'm, and it's, and I can apply myself both professionally and then like, you know, to help. And, but then I realized that there are charity entities and mm-hmm. then there are non-profit organizations. Okay. And then there are for-profit, which are, which could be social enterprises. So there's three different delineations between. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are many, I think, but like yeah. in that scene last time, this was the three main ones. And non-profit, essentially, if I'm not wrong, right? It means that, you know, the company runs like a normal company, mm. but the profits that the company make channels back into the company to run initiatives. Could you explain what these initiatives might look like? Yeah. So initiatives, I think um, every year my boss last time would try to do like one or two pro bonos. Mm. And otherwise it would be, it could be like research or, you know, um, Taking on a, a new project, mm. right? That that um that might require our expertise, and then it could it will come up, it will accumulate into data. Okay. Yeah, or kind of uh just like information that will inform better practice. Mm. Yeah. Is this with regards to the application of design, or is it for a particular social mm. cause, or is it like a mix of between a mix of everything? Yeah, it could be a mix. So potentially, it also could be us collaborating with uh, a social enterprise yep. in trying to see how design can empower their practice. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay, before we move on to Bunker Bunker, um, mm. I think when I did my research uh, in, in preparation for this podcast, I think the word community and culture comes up quite often yeah. with regards to what Bunker Bunker stands for and what Bunker Bunker tries to do. So, since we have the opportunity here today, uh, I'm curious to know what is your idea of community and has it changed uh, across the years like going up to now? Um, I think community is, is, is very important because that's where you find your people. Mm-hmm. And when you, when, when you feel that you belong somewhere and you can uh, be yourself in that safe space, that is where I feel like you can say that it's a community. Right. And, and it, and it cannot happen with one people, right? Mm. One person. I mean, yeah. So it has to happen with, uh, with many individuals coming together and, and it's more so, um, something that is very important to understand because there are online communities now as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So have what's you, your other question? Have you always held this particular idea or did something, uh, something change along the way, be it someone, uh, be it a community you were part of or be mm-hmm. it someone uh, telling you something, you watching a film. Yeah. Have you always held right. this particular idea of what community means? 
Um, I've grown I've grown up in um very different like very uh various subcultures. So I I I played rock music growing up. Okay. But I used to dance hip hop. That is two yeah. two opposing factions that will probably never see eye to eye. Kind of yeah yeah and and yeah. both of them um you know when you are there when you feel like you are part of something bigger mm. um it's it's uh, it's very empowering right like and you feel like you you can be yourself you can express and you can be free to feel like you can make things happen right and I feel like that's that is something that's very powerful. Yeah, so community is de- definitely something that is very important to me. Mm. And to be able to foster and build strong, strong communities is something that I feel like um, starts every amazing thing. Uh. Yeah. Well, that's very poetic. <laughs> yeah. So how, so how did you go from the nonprofit to starting Bunker Bunker initially? What was that? What was that? Um, okay. How did that look like? What was that journey like? So where we started Bunker was at Deck where yep. there was another bar called McKellar mm. and we and I used to part-time for them for the same bosses so that was our little like hangout spot right so even though I was um uh, working as a designer Deck was like very near to my workplace okay so after work I would go there and hang out and um we always I mean for everybody that knows that place that place is special Right, there's nowhere else like it in Singapore. Are you able to put into words as to why it's special? So it sits on a very well-known street, but in a very unknown area, a unknown portion of that well-known street. Which it, is it is pretty obscure. It is pretty obscure. Yeah. Yeah. And it sits like at the Singapore pool site and across from the LaSalle mm. um, school. But then because if you look into it, right, it is the old walls from like the previous previous building with a very I don't want to say rundown but you get the point like, right like rustic, the rustic, rustic <laughs> fencing and gate and then it's just a stack of shipping containers mm. right so if you don't know what's inside you will never know right unless mm. you really yep, go and yep, step yep. in and okay. and that was one thing when I realized when we opened Bunker for the, at the start a lot of people would come in and ask us what is this place? Mm. And a lot of people will actually stop at the gate, yep. look inside, and then walk off. I mean, to to their to their point, it looks pretty um I mean I mean the compound looks very weird. It's just yeah. stacks of shipping containers. I think the bar was right in front. There's a gate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think there was always this hidden line where you like don't know if you don't know what's inside then you don't know whether you can go in mm. yeah and a lot of people were always like they always stand outside and then they would look in try to see what's going on yep. and and it often took us um uh, this is what i learned also last time in my previous job when i had to when i had to talk to people on the streets and and, and like talk to the uncle downstairs right like yep. when they look at your pop-up and they're like what's going on you have to do this like uh, the gesture to them to like actually come in and yep and once uh, I think if they see a smile or they see a gesture, then they will come in, and most people uh, will be like, "Oh, cool, you know, like it's uh, I didn't I didn't know that this was a bar, mm. or I didn't know that this was F and B." Yep. Yeah. So that was I mean it's very special uh, that place. Yeah. Okay. So that was Wait, the, I didn't answer your question right. So that was the birthplace of Bunker Bunker, or you 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 you, yeah. you mentioned that you were you were part timing at the bar. Oh yeah yeah. Yep. So so how I started was um, I felt like 
um, because I was about two years into the job mm. and I enjoyed the job thoroughly, but it was, it was quite, uh, it's quite a shack job, la, you know, yeah, like it is, I it would assume in, so. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's intense, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. And, uh, at that point I was like, okay, I'm going to do a quick degree. Right. And, and to, to understand more la, a little bit about the, the social studies about that industry. So okay. I was going to do social sciences, you know, like, but so initially I was supposed to go to school, but then that, that place vacated. And every time when we hang out there, we will always fantasize about what we're going to do there, you know? <laughs> so I was like, ah, this place is going to be gone. The, like, what, what place is going to be gone? Mi- the bar? Mikella, yeah, mm. the bar was moving out. I was like, we're going to lose this place. And I was like, oh my God. So I was like, so we were, we were in a frenzy like at that point. We were like, is someone jokingly said, you take over ah. Okay. And then I was like, let's run the numbers. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> How drunk were you when he said that? <laughs> quite. Uh. Okay. But it was a serious conversation. It turned out to be quite a serious conversation. And I was like, oh man, I think I, I think it's possible. Eh. Right. You know, like basically what we did with our current place, like Club Street, we literally put in three fridges and, and we are, we are, we started, you know, like, cause yeah, you know, like it was kind of like a plug and play, but then, yeah. So at the same time, I was like, oh my God, like if I had this space, I can do so many things. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and it really, really like tempted me enough to just be like, let's find out how to do this. Let's get it mm-hmm. done. You know? So we, they moved out in April. April I, of? April 2019? of 2018. 2018. I started yep. a company in June yep. and by August we were operational. Okay. What were the early days like then? The early days were very, very tiring. Okay. I don't know why, but I thought I could run 10 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week. Okay. And not burn out, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and I feel like as a designer, I've, I feel like I've gone through or seen like enough people burn out to like mm. see it coming. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, by the six month, by the six, six, six month, we burn out already. So it was like start of 2019 or end of the month, end of the year, basically. Yeah. And we were essentially, because it was two of us doing yep. food, drinks, oh, prep, events, yep. like everything we pao Yep. Right. Yep. And, and yeah, I, I realized that like, I'm not meant to be in the kitchen. Uh. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what experience or event, what happened in the kitchen to make you say that? So there, are, there are points <laughs> that I can look back and like, I, I can remember times when I was in the kitchen and I'm like, fuck, can I swear? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, man. I, like, I'm like this close to like crying already. Like, there was one time, right? I was working alone. Yep. And I didn't know that the deep fryer, right? There is a minimum and maximum indicator, right? Okay. So I was like, oh, I fill it up to the maximum. Ah. I got enough oil, what? And of course, right, oil, when it heats up to like 200, 300 degrees, it expands, right? (laughs) So it was hot oil just leaking everywhere all over the kitchen. Oh God. And I was like, I'm done, man. I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) Really like, at at that point, I was like, we're closing the kitchen. Like, (laughs) yeah. And, and yeah, thankfully we did that. So that has also allowed us to um, open up the space in the kitchen to bring in uh, what has been, I think maybe like up to 10 different, um, small brands or mm-hmm. people pop or food pop-ups and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Would you agree that the idea of starting Bunker Bunker back then in 2018 when McKellen mm. moved out and you guys started the idea, was it more like a leap of faith? Uh, I don't think so. Leh. Okay. I, there was, I mean, a leap of faith in some sense, definitely, right? Mm. But like, I was very sure what I wanted to do which with was? the space, right? Which was to do a lot of collaborations, bring in a lot of like subculture, yep. whether it's music or art or design, yep. use the space and yeah, I used to tell everybody, I'm going, I'm slutting out the space, right? <laughs> yeah, tell that's me what you, to look at. Tell it. me what you want to do. We will do it. We will make yep. it happen. Yep. And the last thing on my mind when I started was the FMB portion. Mm. Yeah. So the, the, the experience of the space and the culture of the space comes first before the actual, I guess, product. So actually the product of the space is the culture. Like, it's not the food. Yeah. That's why I say we are pseudo FMB because my mission is to create a brand that Anywhere it is it can be a safe space. Mm. Yeah. And and so it's kinda like a five year plan. Okay. Cause I knew I would never last in the F and B industry. Like selling food and, and drinks, yeah. I would I'm already like not about that, right? Like yep. yeah, so but I, I understood that it it was very salient for that for us to have that to bring the people. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so I think we kind of we kind of like made it work. <laughs> so how how far are we into this five year plan? We are now three years. We just celebrated our third year anniversary. So how did COVID fuck with this five year plan? So I don't know whether COVID is gonna accelerate the five year plan or to decelerate the five year okay. plan. Yeah, because um I imagine uh after the five years it was just to like, you know, um do this pseudo F and B and then close. Oh. Right. And interesting. because I, I, I understand that once we are established in terms of what we can do, right, with activation of spaces and events and stuff like that, we don't need our own space anymore. Why is that? Because space is readily available mm-hmm. and we can go out and do things. Yeah, and we can we can pop up like in a restaurant, we can pop up in a field, we can, whatever it is we do, I, I feel like... um it doesn't have to be like our our own space lah, you know? Yeah. As long as the brand can assure you that you are in a safe space when when we are happening. Mm-mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um could you could you paint a picture as to how uh reaching out for the like the first collab you guys ever had at uh Bunker Bunker was like? Was it someone you know? Was it someone that uh, yeah. you you are familiar with in the the previous subcultures that you mentioned? What was it like? Definitely, it was just all friends. Uh. Like, for the first half of year, first half of the year, at the very start, it was just, it was really just as many friends as I can chew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the, the first pop-up we did was with this guy who was studying law. Okay. But, loved to cook. Okay. Right? And so he, he had a side hustle where he would do pop-ups. And before I started the business, he sat me down and he was like, yo, I'm going to teach you how to do food costing. Mm. And I was like, oh man. Like, if he didn't do that for me, I think it would have took me a very long time. <laughs> Not just knowing how to cost, yep. like count cost of food and everything, but how to price things. Mm. Yeah. Yep. 
when I started, I was selling French fries at like four dollars and like a giant bowl. Okay. And I was like, this is what the people want. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sure it's what the people want, but, yeah, but I mean, like, totally did not make yeah. sense for the business, right? But yeah, so I mean, yeah, stuff like that, lah. But definitely a lot of uh, the initial collaborations were friends and asking everyone who wants to do something, right? Like, yep. Yeah. So. As Bagel Punker is situated in Singapore, I think the conversation around Singapore and particularly the arts and cultural issues and cultural stuff is that we lack culture or comparatively to, let's say, like the West or even Japan, mm-hmm. there is a, a lack of culture and there's like an apathetic nature towards it. I'm curious to know mm-hmm. from, from, from your experience of running Bunker throughout these years and interacting with people of different cultures, do you agree with the statement that Singapore doesn't have culture and yeah, expound on that? I think it's definitely untrue, but I can understand why people feel apathetic about it. Um, I, f- I feel like there is very strong culture as a, as a country. We have a lot, very strong Singaporean culture, but um, that is uh, a bigger picture where like, you know, what is uh, exclusive to us as Singaporeans, right? Like mm. being a city state, but having the hawker center. Yep. And and I mean, that is by default, right? Our yep. culture. Yep. Yeah. And, but the, the things that I want to push really is the the subcultures and what it matters to to people as we, as we grow and as we grow older, especially, right? Because it's so important to have these communities and hobbies outside of whatever is your Monday to Friday. Mm. And and f- to have that in your life is I feel is very important so that you you can you can live a life that has meaning, right? Like and and to be able to to understand joys outside of um the material norms, right? Um sure you can go and like eat and drink like nice stuff you know like earn money and spend but actually um last time when you are young you you go do graffiti and that is the most joy you have right and Mm-mm. i want people to not stop doing it right yeah it doesn't mean that we start working and like we get a little bit the i mean yeah so i think it's very important to keep pushing this into people's faces like, <laughs> in, in, in a way like, right you know? okay okay because there's a huge disconnect like like I see, I see all my friends that like to drink. Mm. And then from my previous job, I see all these like people like in the social enterprise and stuff like that. And like nobody knows anything about each other, right? And like, mm. like a lawyer will never suddenly want to go to an art show. But I'm like, if I put up all the art in the, in the shop and I'm like, hey, I got beer, come and, come and drink. And immediately you are accessible to the art without even having me having to like hey man come for yep, my art yep, show yep, right yep. yeah and actually to be honest also like I think Singapore is doing a pretty good job with uh, a national gallery a science museum yeah so I think people are starting to take on you know like having a alternative in their lifestyle mm. aside from the mundane yep yeah I think what I find most interesting is like we have or we have grown to have pockets of subculture but I think it is not as you mentioned, it's not as exposed. Not many mm. people know about it. And oftentimes, if you don't know about it, I mean, 
it's it's very yeah. difficult to 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 even start searching or even be aware of something you don't know yeah, until exactly. someone uh maybe the algorithm gods like show it on your feed or on instagram or someone mm. tells you about it then you're oh there's this uh tough thing club that teaches me how to make carpets oh then i go and look right. into it yeah yeah and and i i think you can kind of there's a whole wave like right you slowly see like pottery is super yep. popular now and there are classes like right and and all these like kind of handy skills and stuff like that like that might seem like blue collar last time is kind of becoming more lifestyle now yep yeah and and, and i think that's super fun right you know like i feel like our generation will definitely push all these subcultures and and to create more in in the the landscape line in Singapore. I think it's still very early days. La. It but is I definitely, think yeah. To to an earlier point you shared earlier about uh dance, hip hop mm. and playing music, rock. Mm. Um I'm curious to know how do you get exposed to these two things? Was it uh something you, you saw? Was it a friend? Was it school? Because these are two uh very how would I say, very meticulous subculture that you have either have to be listening to, let's say, a particular genre of music or you have mm. to be, uh, I don't know, exposed through dance, through other means, like let's say back then MTV and stuff like that. Oh, MTV, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where the channel has gone, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the 90s MTV specifically. I mean, I mean shout out to my parents. Uh. Like, okay. they, you know, I, like my mom was the one who asked me to go and take a dance class. What? Yeah, because she saw it and they and and the kids were dancing outside of the studio mm. in the mall. Mm. And then she was like, Oh, you know, all these uh all these kids dancing, uh, like uh maybe you should go and check it out. Uh. Uh, could, could could you share how old you were and what, what year was this? I started dancing when I was 14, 15. Okay. Yeah. So I was in secondary school, yeah. I was like uh very like chaotic. Sure. Teenager, as, right? as, as and, most teenagers are, like. yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and and yeah, and like actually, when I started dancing, uh, I was the only person in my school that was dancing, mm. so it was very strange for me as well. But then I then I built this other family of friends, you know, like that are in out on outside of school, and mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, my mom asked me to to go and dance, and then how I start playing music, uh? I don't know, man. I was drawn to the drums, uh. The drums. Just like I just liked it. Uh. Okay. And, and, and I I asked I think I asked my mom whether I can go for a class. Yeah. And then it just started from there. Are these yeah. still do you still interact with the with, with these two particular uh, subcultures today or have you moved on from them? Um the dance dance is something I've I've kinda left behind. Mm. But I think the 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 culture is why I, I I feel like it's still very strong in Singapore and, and there's there's a place for anybody that wants to like be a part of it. So I still feel connected. Yeah. And I definitely have friends, long-time friends, right? Like that have been, and we've grown up together. And I think music is just something that I can enjoy anytime. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice to be able to like, hey, want to go jam this weekend and then we just go and play. Without anything in mind? Yeah. 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 I mean, okay. Like, I mean, if you're proficient, then I think like, it's not too hard to be able to just play. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Um, I'm curious to know what 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 part has these uh cultures played in your journey? Yeah. Actually the 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 very thing about these two cultures that I think I enjoyed so much was the music. 
Okay, right? but they're so different. They are actually the same. Rock and hip hop. Yeah. Explain. So if you listen to old school hip hop, right, mm. it's a four on the floor beat. It's or like you know, um, Run DMC, Aerosmith, that Walk This Way song. That collab, yeah. Easily like both genres, right? And I think it all stems from, um, black culture music long long ago, right? Yep. All the jazz and stuff like I mean, trickles down and it became their own kind of genre. So. I, I feel like because I've seen both sides, I can kind of put them together as well. Yeah. And that, that was very enjoyable for me. Um, yeah. Other than, you know, being part of something bigger than myself. So, yeah. Myself. Yeah. Being part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. So the community aspect and, you know, the whole subculture, because when you immense, when you immerse, right? Like I remember watching, going on YouTube and just searching all the hip hop history and like, rock and roll history and then you have your rock gods and yep, you go yep. back and you learn yep. about them yep. and it's a lot of uh, like understanding what it's like um, this, these uh, influences that have come from far far away yep. and they are so big have you That's tried to see have you tried to see any any of these bands live before or are so you a my, fan of live my favorite band is Red Hot Chili Peppers interesting yeah so I've seen them twice uh, the first time I saw them was at Fuji Rock Festival in Japan. In Japan at the 10 year anniversary and they were playing because they were the first, the very first year of Fuji Rock, they, they were the headliners. So they are back to do headline the, the 10th year anniversary. That was just crazy. That was like a dream come true for me. And yeah, I think that's the furthest I've chased a band. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think everybody should try to go to Fuji Rock once in their life. What's, what's so special about it compared to the other festivals out there? It's not trashy. Uh. <laughs> Like the the selection of music or what yeah. what is I mean maybe it's the Japanese culture you know like but also they they have very like um, how do I put it uh, is they just enjoy life without the need for like alcohol and drugs and stuff like that, which happens at every festival sure but like for them it's like like super family like Fuji Rock is a family festival so it's yeah. a f- what do you mean a family festival like Are people bring their kids there? yeah and it's it's um from what I understand it, um the Japanese people right that attend the festival with their families like it's a tradition for them and if they if they see like people misbehaving in the festival and it could be like normal festival things like jumping around okay maybe not jumping around like taking a piss by the tree right okay they are super super upset about stuff like that like it's very proper it's very like what's that word I don't know wholesome uh, very wholesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay okay yeah, yeah and yeah I mean the amazing thing about Fujiro is that um, it is in the mountains the ski mountains right but during summer so it's massive uh, it's huge and then like uh, there's so many different things going on everybody's like super friendly yeah, so there's a lot of things to see, a lot of people to meet. Um, yeah, it's just super fun. And camping as well. Camping you, on the you festival grounds. Camping? Yeah, man, for sure. Like outdoors camping or glamping or is it any specific? We were super amateur. So it was outdoor camping. We reached like at sundown. Okay. And then we couldn't find a spot. So we camped on a slanted ground. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that what they tell you not to do. Yeah, there's only spot left. Eh? We, were, we had to build our tent in the middle of the night. Like when I mean, the sun was down, right? Yeah. So yeah, all of that was just like, uh, now I know. 
and then like you go to the festival you're super unprepared like because I, I wasn't really I've been to like laneway like okay. stuff that happened in Singapore right? and yep, when you yep. reach like a festival on that scale whoa like people are like super prepared yeah. what, what do they you mean prepared? they have barbecue pits and they are I don't know like 10 portable chargers you said something like, about climbing up a mountain or it's in the mountains or something right uh, yeah yeah so you like even getting there is like the journey already right like okay. you have to switch the train take the right train yep yep then after that, you reach the station, then you have to walk to the mountain. Yep. And then you, yeah, like, you have to, like, kind of check in. Then you check in, and then you go to the festival ground. Mm. And then, then you find out where the toilets are. Everything is, like, kind of, like, it's, it's massive. Uh. So so it's very different from what, what, what I've ever been to in Singapore, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to take a little tangent in the conversation, and we're going to ask, I'm curious to know, are you a fan of traveling? Yes. Could, yeah. could you explain... Oh, could you could you talk about what is what attracts you to traveling? What is so attractive about it? Hmm. To be honest, right? Like I think it's you you have to for like a as any other experiences that you like kind of go for in life. Like traveling has to be something that you are ready to see new things and accept new things and and be able to the most amazing thing is that you cannot prepare yourself for mind-blowing things that you see when you travel. Like because you can't anticipate it? Yeah, because you you'd have no idea that it exists. Sure. And when you when it happens, you're like, oh my god, like this is what I'm here for, right? Yep. But I didn't know. But now I know. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and the other aspect is company. La. Yeah. So whether it's backpacking or traveling with friends, I think it's always very important to find the right people to travel with. Yeah. And people you meet at hostels and stuff, you know, they're kind of there for the right, the same reasons. Mm. Yeah. So I backpack quite a bit. So you meet people in like, in like bars or like at the market and stuff like, that. like but like once you f- have met someone like that and you can f- like feel like, well, you know, like, you can make plans for the next few days and just hang out together and all that's very important as well. is there a difference between backpacking and the normal like oh four day three night thing what, what is backpacking I mean backpacking just allows you to be super flexible lah, you know and and to be able to just do whatever you want I feel and also traveling on a budget is a very different experience from you know like traveling uh, as a like a, a paid package and mm-hmm. you go as a as a tourist right yep yeah so um, do you get to experience the destination differently or what what's what is so different between let's say a, a backpacker like the experience of a backpacker and like, like you mentioned like a paid package why why would someone choose like to to backpack um i mean i would prefer a backpacker because mm. like going on a tour just feels like you are going on a tour right and, <laughs> and you just eat and see and and take in whatever yep that package is la right but actually without the package you can do that so yep and and being able to not see a new place on the surface level is very important for me yeah so if you meet someone like i say i I, i'm in spain and i meet like a bartender and i'm talking about craft beer and we are both very passionate about it Mm. and he's like okay we're gonna close shop and go to another place i bring you like 
a little bit sketch, but okay, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, damn sketch, dude. <laughs> yeah, but like, okay, let's go. You yeah, know, like, yeah. then I can have these kind of experiences, right? And and those are the the things that I, I feel like you will remember the most. Yeah. Are you able to re- remember like uh, an un- unexpected surprise from one of your travels before? Oh. Or was it so what? far that we, you since traveled the last time <laughs> you don't remember? It's, it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> because like Bunker, since Bunker started three years ago, I've only traveled twice. Okay. And it was uh, with friends and I did not care what the plan was. I was just like, okay, we are going. Let's go. Um, but I mean, the I was in Vietnam once and there was a bar at the first level of the hostel. Pretty normal. Okay. Right, normal, okay. right? So what will naturally end up happening is that everybody will be there at like 6pm, 7pm. Like dinner time. Right, yeah. Okay. And then we'll be drinking, right? And, and, okay. and then, so everybody will naturally become friends and everybody will be like, oh, I went to this place. I went to that place. Yesterday we went there. Like, this place is really cool. And people are like, okay, let's go now. Then everybody just go. And you have no idea sometimes, like, and also like, like a place like Vietnam, right? Um, sometimes it might feel like the streets are like dark and dodgy, and, but actually it's just their normal road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go through that experience of like, oh my God, where are we going? You know, this, is, this might be a little bit sketch. <laughs> but then when you reach there, you're like, oh man, like, a secret beach party like yeah and yeah just it's just amazing uh, when like when things like that happen even it's in, all like random encounters like even like people living in the hostel you can't plan who's yeah, gonna stay there as well exactly what, yeah how long they're gonna stay there for and what they're gonna do that day as well yeah interesting yeah yeah it's, it's, it's that's I think that that brings a lot more joy to like that whole experience of like leaving and going somewhere far away to do something you know yeah. Although, otherwise, I think it's very cosmetic the idea of like traveling to travel. Mm. Yeah, and and I feel like a lot of Singaporeans we crave the escape. Yep. Yeah, and but there is local tourism actually. You know, local to be a, tourism to, to be a tourist in your own country. I remember, like ninety percent of my friends probably haven't been to Lim Chu Kang and know that they are like big farms and like um or like Ubin and to 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 actually meet natives of Ubin. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think like there's a lot to see in Singapore as well. Yeah. Is there a particular travel destination that you're fond of? Uh, as with most Singaporeans, I love Bali. Why? Isn't, isn't it an island of degeneracy? Or multiple islands of degeneracy? Yeah, man. But like, <laughs> I think, you know, it's so accessible to us. Mm. And to be able to just plong yourself on the beach for however long you're there for, right? But like, to be able to go there and come back quickly, just like really just taste a bit of like paradise for a bit and then come back. I think that is quite, it's quite like crazy to to have. Uh. Yeah. You, you mentioned a, a, something about local tourism. Um, Could you speak a little bit on that? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Mm, so it's kind of like reverse of what I do in Bunker, right? Like where I try to bring interesting things into my space but um yeah there are many many interesting things to go and see in singapore and like uh i your previous podcast they were talking about the dragon kiln yeah and uh, right? yeah yeah like if you go to dragon kiln and see it right it's insane it's it like, is pretty insane yeah. yeah and um like i know bollywood veggies is starting to get pretty popular mm. yeah and like my mom loves to bring because my mom grew up in lim chukang 
So she loves to bring her overseas friends like to just drive around Lim Chukang and see like the fish farms. And you know, if you go to the other end, there is like the Singapore Kelong. And you can actually, is it called Kelong? Yeah, Kelongs, right? Mm-hmm. And you can actually stay on the Kelong. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and uh, you can, and then if I'm not wrong, you stay, right? They were private tzutsa for you. And it's like fresh fish, eh? like right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the ocean <laughs> to your plate. Like, a bit inhumane, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, but, yellow, yellow. But I mean, I've, and a uh, couple years back also that, that uh, onsen at Crunchy, I think, yep. became quite popular. Yep. And that was, that's always been there, you know, like, yeah, so many things to see, like, I think, in Singapore. And, and it's, it's really not that far away, but sometimes it also kind of feels like a different world. Do you think sometimes like these are overlooked for quote unquote uh, better experiences overseas? Or like what kind of like romanticize like the idea of traveling out, but we overlook whatever that we might have here? Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, it's easy to understand why. And I feel like it's, it's probably more exciting to go to Japan <laughs> and see an, an onsen yeah. than go to Kranji. But like, you know, I mean... You, you, you take what you can get like, sometimes. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think especially like these last two years with COVID, I feel like it has kind of forced people to to be like, to kind of explore their country, their own country a little bit. Like just changing your mode of transport from taking a cab to riding a bicycle. Yep, yep. Immediately is different, right? Yep. Yeah. So I think that's 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 something that that it, it I do feel like it's overlooked. Yeah. Have you, have you, made you just want to do like a one day activity. A one day activity? Right. Like just one day just go and ride bicycle somewhere that you've never been before, right? Yep. Yeah. Like I stay in the West. So when I go to Pongo, it's like for me, I feel like I'm traveling. <laughs> okay. Not to dox you, but is it like the far west? Like the chemical plants there or? Oh, no, no, no. Not okay, not, not that far. far. Like, okay, okay, okay. So I grew up in Bukit Panjang. Yep. And then now I stay at Bukit Bato area. Okay. But yeah, but you still, you know, like going to. Is like, the air different there? Like Basaris? No, no. No, not no, different? Not that I can smell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've always had this theory that the air is a bit different in the west la, compared to the maybe east. In, maybe in Tuas. <laughs> No, it, oh, it's just like, even if you go to Tuas, right, you will be like, what the hell is this place, man? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's but, interesting to, to see, I think as much as Singapore tries to, I mean, Singapore has always been, uh, I think culturally very homogenized, even though cu- culturally, like on an uh, individual level, even like a, like a small group level, there have been very, very strong pockets of culture, but mm. I think it shows in the different communities in the different parts of Singapore. Like it, it, it just shows there. But even though from a macro perspective down, top down, it looks very homogenized. But if right. you actually spend time to to talk to people and to look into uh the, the different races and how they do different things, I think it's mm. there's a pocket, there's so much difference and diversity over there, which I think it's quite it's quite beautiful in a sense. Yeah, I I, I also think that we are special in that sense where we have so many, we have, we are so diverse, right? There is, uh, there is that co-living in, in our small spaces, but that the, yeah, the individual cultures and subcultures are all very strong and very alive. Mm. And it's, and it's quite beautiful, you know? Yeah. So going back to the discussion and the conversation on subcultures, I'm curious to know from your perspective, um, have you noticed anything changing over the years? I think, um, we as a country are more open to accepting or being as like of 
or like trying to assess these kind of subcultures now. Mm-hmm. I think it used to be very um, siloed or like it also, also, you know, like when you're in a subculture, you get so deep in it that yep. you, you, you don't see what's happening outside. Yep. Right. And there, the, I feel like there could be more cross in subcultures as well. Cause you end up being in a echo chamber sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these subcultures, we, we usually stand for something, right? And stand for pushing something that we believe in. Like the and, craft or yeah, like some like values of it. And, yeah. Yeah. And if you cannot, um, you cannot empathize from the other side, then it's very hard to actually make connection. Yeah. And, and I think, um, now it's a lot easier, especially with, uh, digital content. Yep. But also I feel like the government is finally pushing harder on the arts and like design and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause I, I think that they are starting to understand how important it is to our local culture. Okay. Yeah, in just in general as well. So yeah. to 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 follow it up, why do you think the arts is important from your perspective? Mm, I if there was no religion, right? I feel like art would be the that thing that fills the gap, the mm. void, right? Mm. And to 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 be a something bigger than everyone, but at the same time. Um, available to everyone in the way that they want it to be, mm. right? Because you 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 consume art and it becomes what you want it to be, right? And yep, yep. And usually, once the artist is done, like it, whatever he he or she has made or whatever is without an explanation, then it's no longer kind of the us anymore, right? Yeah, it's, it's out there. It's up yeah. for interpretation for, for people to criticize, to, to comment and whatever. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I feel like that allows the freedom of being able to have people think and kind of like manifest their own um, uh, message. Yeah. And then that's how you have different groups of people that will come together that way, right? Like, some like I'm I feel like I'm saying it like quite quite confusing but like like how religions are like, you know mm-hmm. yeah and if there's something to believe in then I feel like it is uh, the creation and 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 um, creation of art and what it can ultimately influence yeah I don't know if if I'm, <laughs> if I'm making sense I, I think it's I think so so it goes beyond uh, something just on the canvas or it goes beyond like right. an illustration. It goes far beyond that because it it kind of affects people more profoundly and it influences the way they think and it changes and shifts their perspectives for the good and for the bad. I mean, that is mm. just how the, how the world is set up. But in a way, it it changes the... It's such a lame word, but the paradigm of how people are thinking. Like, right. Because without that, then everyone would kind of be the same. But the fact mm. is that someone produces a piece of art, the community sees it and they change yeah. and you just and keep building from there. Yeah. And also the, the, the freedom to create some, whatever it is you want to create. And, you know, like, yeah, I think that I mean, it's, it's apparent, right? Even just for like music and how big a following different types of music can, yeah. can garner. So I think that is kind of like the subculture god, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, in his own way, lah. 
I'm I've I've always been curious as to why uh individuals uh have their what what has contributed to the different perspective that individuals have. So I think initially you mentioned that you enjoyed the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right. Would you consider them as like let's say a band and their craft of music they make as something very influential uh throughout your years of growing up and even up to now? And if so, why? For sure. I mean, so I started listening to them super early on, right? Like 12 years old. 12? Wow. Because my mom came back with a Red Hot Chili Peppers poster like that was related to her work stuff. Like. Sure, sure. And it was just one of the collaterals. Yep. And I was like, <laughs> wow. whoa, what's this stadium, yep. Arcadium? And <laughs> that's really like, don't know how many albums in really, right? Red Hot Chili Peppers. So when I started listening, I was like, wow, these are like, this is like the, they are so different because they are they are funk rock and they mm. are their lyrics don't make sense sometimes, <laughs> and unless you know what they're singing about, you kind of don't know. But it is it, it it amazed me, right? It was like wow, this is a whole new world, man. Mm. And and of course, all of this, all of their all of their craziness came from drugs, right? But I didn't know when I was a when I was so young, yeah, right? Yeah. So now I know. But then like at that time, it was to me like a whole new world that they presented as. It's just their music, their lyrics, and and yeah, there's there's for me like no, not many other bands that play the music that the kind of music that they play. What yeah. about uh up even up to now? Are they still releasing new music or? I think their last album was like three four years ago maybe. Okay. I mean I, I don't I don't keep up with them because my romance with them is all their old music. Mm, and yeah. it reminds you of like when you were young listening to them. Yeah, and like learning all their songs and. And uh, yeah, coincidentally, one of the first songs that I learned how to play and I felt like, ooh, I'm a drummer, you know, is <laughs> one of the real Archie songs. Yeah. Okay, so to, to, to follow up for that, I think you, you mentioned an interesting point, which is the, it opens up a, a whole new world or it feels like li- listening to their music at the point in time, uh, it's like opening a whole new world. Right. So I'm curious to know, like recently, has there been something that you have consumed? Let's say be it like movies or films or even music or books that has... Uh, groom that that particular uh experience like oh it's like a whole new thing or yeah um I would say podcasts okay right because then there are not many there are like millions of podcasts millions. out there right yeah. and and to find the one that you will religiously listen to is I feel quite special mm. And I found some amazing podcasters. And um the the wonderful thing about podcasts is that they podcasters speak to people that you might never know of mm. and introduce them on a level where you feel like you know them mm-hmm. just from one podcast. And then based on that, you can be like. I am going to read up on this person as much as I can. And like that will take you into like the next week. Yep. Finding out about a brand new person and what they do. And I mean, it, it, it just opens so many like doors. Yep. Like, yeah. But it's kind of like a, it's kind of, it's kind of like a new way of learning. I mean, I think as, so. as to, as, as to how I think about the whole podcasting phenomenon, as to mm. how, I mean, in, in recent years, um, it has been said that people are graduating from YouTube university Meaning that whatever you want to do, whatever uh, business you want to start, whatever career you want to have, even like almost recently, like if you want to go to, let's say, design university, there are people 
um, showcasing their journey to to design school and all that. Whatever yeah. you you can imagine, it's on YouTube. It's there, and I've learned from YouTube to be a better designer than I've learned in my three years of school. So you know? to 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 take that further, and it will, because we've, we've both been through design school, right? What do you think? Perhaps the the future of design education will look like. I think design is um, something you have to practice and it's something you have to you have to go through slowly to learn the the becoming of a designer and technical application is something that we mostly learn in school mm. so I think that is, school is good for that and but at the same time um, I think three years four years learning how to build a build a model of paper and and learning how to right because like if you're teaching me how to 3D something why am I building it with like paper yeah I mean it's, <laughs> it's, it, at that point of time I was, it was so irrelevant I was like I know how to do it like this seems just like like so much time and money you know like all these kids in school crying and bleeding yeah. Yeah. and 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 I'm like this is toxic as fuck you know like but that's what we have all have to go through to graduate. Yep. And I'm like, I've taken none of that nonsense to <laughs> to my to my design jobs at all, right? <laughs> and most designers will eventually realize like if they freelance or not, they'll be like, oh, this is nothing like school. Mm. Right. It either comes down to like money. Yep. Or doing it like for the love of. Which and, and I think school School provides like half of that. Like they, they allow you to do fantasy projects. Yep. Right. <laughs> Without having to care about like budget and everything. Yep, yep, but, yep. Yeah. So I think I think the internship internship part of school is the most important. It's like the reality. Uh. It is the reality, yeah. And and I mean, so I assume we both went through army as well. And uh, I guess. Yeah, all these processes, you know, it I feel like it takes too long. Yeah. Like can you do you remember sitting on range day, waiting to shoot one bullet, one. It's, how many? It's it's, used, it's, it's um, mind-boggling how, how, how much time rounds? is wasted. Yeah, yeah. The whole day we sit out <laughs> in the field to shoot one time. Yeah. It's like yeah. I feel like yeah, school was like that uh, for me. Yeah. Do you do you perhaps okay? So so this is taking a tangent into into possibilities. Do you foresee because okay? Do you foresee the education changing? And I think the reason why I ask that because. Uh, technology is out of the bag. What I mean by that is like, unless something major happens, YouTube mm. is going to be there. All right. these um, Skillshares, uh, Brilliant, all these teaching sites are going to be there and that the, the 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 truly interested and the dedicated will go seek these out. Irregardless mm. of, uh, let's say like more paper qualifications, irregardless of uh, any like qualifications that you have to apply for. So I'm curious to know how how do you imagine um, the education system changing or would it even change? Because it's always playing catch up. It's always going to play catch mm. up to whatever's out there. And unfortunately, yeah. it has to it has to cast or it has to have a very wide net for uh, people to, 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 to go through the system. It is true. It is still a system ultimately. Yeah, I think education... Uh, I don't mean to keep talking about NS, but like, like the army, right? It employs a lot of people. Yep. Right. It gives a lot of people jobs. Yep. And and it is something that um and is you know it's top down, right? Yep. So 
So it's it is it is a provider of many many people's livelihood and life uh families. Um, as far as I feel, education will change. It would, I think, it would be similar to what technology has done for every industry is to render certain job scopes irrelevant, mm. right? Um, and there is, I've there is no AI or technology that will ever be able to replace a good mentor. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Okay. And and and. And I feel like we will pro- the education system will probably have to move in that way, lah, right? And all the technical stuff, you know, like like you ha- what we were learning in school, right, last time, I can do on my phone. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I'm I'm I went to school for nothing, but yeah. like yeah. and 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 the one on your phone is like a game, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so it's so intuitive and yep. you don't need to go to school to learn these kind of things anymore. And, and so I, I believe this is actually a good thing. It allows us to, to leave all this like technical nonsense behind and focus on the job, focus on what we are there to learn, right? And focus on, on, on becoming, if it's design, then becoming a good designer, right? What it means, what does design mean to you? What, what, what does design mean to the person you're designing for? Yeah, and yeah, and you you can do that and can learn that from YouTube. But you, if you don't have a mentor that can show you a way of doing things or a way of thinking and mm. and to share experiences, then then uh, I feel like it's very hard. Also, yeah. So I mean, having a good teacher is 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 something that I think will keep education alive. I think having good educators, teachers, or mentors is the one aspect that is quite difficult to calculate from a numbers mm, yeah. or even like a statistics point of view because yeah, everybody would... Yes, there are a lot of like bad eggs and bad teachers that, I mean, for whatever fuck reasons, they would uh, teach badly. But I think most people would remember like a particular educator or a good teacher that perhaps said something inconsequential at that time but has stuck with the student and perhaps even motivated the, the, the individual to, to pursue greater things. I think yeah. everyone would have that one particular individual. Mm. Like my, my teacher from secondary school that I remember the most and I'm close to taught me English <laughs> when, when actually he was a maths teacher. Okay. And I'm like, none of the real lessons I've learned are from school, are from our time when we met in school. But yeah, you know, that I think there's, there's, it transcends a lot, right? It transcends mm. the, the education portion. Yep. Yeah. I think I, I think I think for me personally, it would be interesting to see how education system, let's say in Singapore, changes mm. because I think as much progress that they have made, I think education right now isn't like what we think it was back then. I think they have been making strides, but it is always going to play catch up. Yeah, unfortunately, for sure. Yeah, our education is behind me, but I think they they have realized and they are trying their best to change. But it is a big change that would take some time. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Since we, we touched on the topic of mentors, I'm curious to know, have you had a mentor before? Um, sure. I think at every stage of life, you know, or every, every thing you pursue, mm. uh, you will seek a mentor, like someone will naturally be there. Mm. And let's say for Bunker Bunker, when you started, who was your mentor? Then? So for Bunker, it was, it was, it's, it's, it's definitely my boss from my previous job. 
the McKellen, the one who owns McKellen? Uh, not McKellen, uh, participate in design. Okay. Yeah, so the design organization. So they, they do participatory design. And it's, what is uh, participatory design? Yeah, so, <laughs> mouthful. Yeah. I, I took some time to like, <laughs> get that, you know, like. And, and yeah, uh, participatory design is uh, approach, a methodology of design where you involve all levels of stakeholders or as many as you can from top down and bottom and ground up, right? So that's why when we when we get a job, say, to to design, to redesign or to reimagine the the public spaces in this HDB neighborhood, mm. your top down will be your MP, yep, the yep. RC, all these people, right? The government portion. Yep. And then your ground up will be the residents yep. and every everybody. And and to go in depth in critical engagement with every level is a long process. And it's rough. Yeah. And but it is a long process and intense and emotional and but the outcome is something very the outcome will be something that is more sustainable society-wise. Because everybody that is involved is immediately empowered to have a say, to be part of something that oh, because, is oh, because bigger, they have a part to play, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, so okay. they are they are involved. They are invested, mm. right? And yeah, you know, it 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 could be something simple like inviting the whole HDB to paste a, a border cap into an art feature wall. Mm-hmm. But once I have that action that is being done, they're like, oh, I'm part of it, man. Like, that's me. Like, and it's in their neighborhood and they will protect it. They will keep it safe. They will, they will be upset if something happens to it, yep. right? And that's, that's kind of like the, the community empowering portion of it and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know why you personally feel that this would be important with regards to the arts. Yeah. Why, why is this idea mm. of involving everybody to, to, to feel a sense of connection to it. Why, why, why is it important? Um, you have to, I mean, I think we are naturally people of, uh, community, what, right? Like, I, okay. I don't need to keep saying that, but like, <laughs> yeah. you, I'm sure every time Kiola drinks, yeah. Oh, yeah, every time Kiola says the word community, <laughs> like, her mentality, right? But like, I mean, you have to, you have to take ownership of your people and your and your space and i think that is something that a lot of us we forget sometimes because especially in singapore when everything is given and when things go wrong people will complain and mm, mm. and be like and 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 stick their head out right mm. and ask for more but we don't realize that as a people we are stronger and we can make a lot of things happen actually yeah and and that is something that i learned it's a very amazing thing through the right facilitation and the right engagement. Yep. Um, people come together and do amazing things. And it's as simple as that, actually. So yeah. in, in, in adopting the same mentality that you just said, how how, mm. how would something like this play out in, let's say, when Bunker wants to uh, engage with, let's say, an artist to to do like a... How, how, how does that look like? Mm. So for, for Bunker, it's a little bit more flexible, right? In my previous job, we have clients... Mm. We have people to answer to. We have KPIs and and all very special things, right? <laughs> yeah, and and with Bunker, you know, like I get to make all the decisions, uh, and I get to I get to decide how intense the engagement is. 
how right. intense the engagement right. do we want to engage an artist and go all the way do a show do a mm. workshop yep. um, really like talk about their craft or do you just want to do something that like we do a low effort intervention and then see what happens right and then we can prototype right mm. um, yeah it's actually prototyping is for me is like a very big thing as well because you get to test and you get to fail fast and get back better like prototyping well. the event prototyping anything I think like prototyping anything in life is great right like just try you just try first and then like you see how right I think usually people will make very big plans in their head yep and it's hard to come together yep but when you try you know you fail fast you get to react quicker yep. with with uh, with lesser output you know yeah who, who taught you the lesson that failing fast is actually a, a pretty good way of, of going about things because I think it's uh, it's not something that everybody will know I mean failure is mm. it feels like a the big boogeyman sometimes right yeah, yeah. so is, is it always indicative of your nature to, 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 to think of things like that I think I'm very averse to risk okay Um, but also I I think it's something that every designer should kind of actually have Right, because we we do prototype in like, even from school, right? You iterate, yeah, yeah. You iterate. You, you have to try first, one, right? Yeah. You have to try, and then you and going through like many rounds of consultation is a normal thing, right? Mm. So actually, things when they when they don't work is actually a good thing, right? Mm. So you know how to improve. But to that point, failing fast on Adobe Illustrator is very different from failing fast when running a business. And doing events. True. Yes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, well, can we both agree on that? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, I I think at especially f- at the start, right, I was I was uh very adamant, like we need to push the artists, right? Like um and we did like one artist every month, we did an activation oh, for it, we did um artist engagement day, and uh we pushed the sales of artwork. And it soon became very clear that that was a system that took a lot of effort and we had no idea how much returns we would get. Mm. Yeah. And so, and so after that, I was like, okay, you know, back to the drawing board. Let's just, what is the simplest thing we can do, right? Hang an artwork on the wall. Everyone that walks in that asks, we will tell you about it. Mm. Everyone that sits for 15 minutes in the shop looking around, we will tell you about it. And immediately that was way better engagement directly to the artist, right? And and then from there we just learn how to how do we um play with the the play with the space and to to use the space as 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 the kind of strategy to like slowly insert these kind of things to the consumers. Yep. Yeah. So it's also about being flexible with what you initially plan uh, and having the humility to say, okay, maybe this time yeah. might not work. Uh. Mm. And I, I, and I believe like, you know, um, the whole five year plan that I, I, I have in my head, you know, is, is not super concrete, right? <laughs> okay, That's, okay. And, and I know that like no five year plan is going to turn out the so same. So it's like step one, step two, step three is the question mark, then profit, uh, the right? Step four. Yeah. Okay. And, and so essentially it is five years of prototyping that I have given myself time to to eventually be like, okay, you know, like maybe after fires I will know <laughs> how things are supposed to be done. And 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 yeah, it's been super fun like, just trying and, and doing like 
many, many, many different things at many, many different scales. Yeah. Could you speak to the recent event that you threw with uh, Laughing Tiger as well as Russell? I mean, what considerations did you have? Because it's been, we are going through a period of COVID. Mm -hmm. We have different considerations to have. So how was that event uh, planned differently compared to events that you might have planned initially before? What what type of uh, maneuvers and I think adaptations you have to have as an organizer going into that? Considerations even. Yeah, last time we can really just throw party with like no with, fucks given. No fucks given, really. Okay, just okay. like just we can just spam everybody, tell your friends. Okay. Right? <laughs> like like the old my old space, right? People bring in fucking like nonsense tiger beer stuff. They were uh, not nonsense tiger beer, but like <laughs> their own drinks, right? They will just bring their own drinks. Okay. And I and and I was very happy with that, right? Because yep. as long as the space was drawing people. Mm. I'm like, you know, treat it as a public space. Do what you will, as long as it's not illegal, right? Yep, yep. And and I was like, I was very happy, you know, because like, if you have a DJ spinning, mm. right? Mm. You want people to if essentially come for the music on that day. La. And and I'm okay, you know, if you, if you bring a drink in and finish and then maybe buy some from me. That's, like, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a very interesting way of, of thinking about things, to be honest. I'm, yeah. I'm like, okay, la, right? You know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, now it's like, we are a li- we have to be like, okay, let's plan out who do we think is going to uh, show up? Who do you, who do we think is, are the right people to like, really like push the event to? Yep. Um, who do we personally invite? How many people can we hold? Um, and it's a lot more, which is, I guess, maybe on a professional event production level, that's what they do do. Yeah, but um, that's just been very different for me uh, to have to plan every step and and to be like, hey, you know, if the police come, this is what we do. Like, that's, cra- <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, like, so, like, so that has never happened before, like initially. It, it's like, not that it never happens. It's just that now the stakes are way higher. <laughs> right, like, and and it's not as if we are doing illegal things. It's yep. just a precaution that you must consider. That, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yep. it's a conversation you must have. Yeah, and you know, and it's so strange to have to like count people. Mm. Yeah, I think it's strange for you because if not the how you would normally run things is you don't count. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just do like I see a lot of people. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody come. Okay, we try again next time. You know, like so yeah. it's either zero or a hundred over. Yeah. <laughs> it's over hundred. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, like this. But this kampong proves la, that you know, um, the f- the factor of collaboration and bringing the right entities together and creating the right environment and really draws the right energy after all in this in in the space and the experience yeah so as a last point to this what what would you take away from going through covid into running bunker bunker what was like a learning lesson i i think there was a period where i cannot remember which whether it's it's definitely after the lockdown so like it was a period which one uh, the first one the very very first the very first one and yeah, so we have adjusted now, right? I think close to 10 times really our <sighs> regulations, right? As FMB yep. operators. And um there was this point where I was I was like 
this is it. Uh. The business is going to tow already. Yep. Like, you know, we cannot sustain. Mm. And I read an article by a New York restaurant owner. I cannot recall which restaurant was it, but it was a very long article about her romance letter to the restaurant scene and food, right? And and talking about how they have been around for over 20 years. And sure, you know, COVID is a challenge, but the reality is that F&B, or I guess any business, comes with challenges, mm. right? And it's just one of the challenges that you have to, you have to, you have to get by, get over. Lah. And, and although that article was about her saying that, uh, saying like, she, she said, lah, like, good night, we are going to sleep for now and we will come back again. Maybe, right? You don't know, but they were closing their restaurant. Mm. And it was it was quite a sad article, but it also gave gave me a lot of motivation to be like, ah, fuck it, you know, like, sure, like, it's just another challenge. Like, let's <laughs> let's take it on, you know, like, and and there was so much inertia at the start when COVID happened for mm. for FMB operators, and I I took maybe like three weeks to to just put up like a list of beers online and say that we are doing delivery, but like. After I read that that letter, I was like, wow, I'm going to do everything. Whatever nonsense I can think of, I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and that really, that really gave me like a, a push and, and, and to be able to see things in, in, in a much bigger, broader perspective. And I was like, ah, okay, you know, like, and also for me to check back with myself and why, why I was doing bunker in the first place. And I was like, it's okay because end of the day, I know bunker will, not die, even if the space dies. Um, so is that is that detachment from the actual space? Uh, so but, so yeah. the space isn't a bunker, but bunker is actually detached from the space. The space is right. just, I guess, hosting bunker at that time. Yeah, yeah, and and to for me, it was a very good wake up call for me to be like, "Hey, check back with your five year plan," because at that point, when COVID hit, nobody was thinking about like our goals and dreams and aspirations you know yeah, i mean like, it goes into a survival mode in a sense yeah. because i think right when it hit initially there was like this air of uncertainty because i think it's so new and it caught i think one of the 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 one of the main struggling points against this particular virus is the uncertainty and the rate mm. at which something so uh the, the rate at which it spreads as well as the rate at which it affects people because one could have no symptoms or anything at all, but right. the other could be suffering. I mean, mm. these two combined together makes it valid. And it's so new yeah. at that point in time. And a lot of, I think a lot of businesses, I think I remember uh, like Momofuku by David Chang. I think they yeah. had, they were struggling as well. And you think of someone of that stature, of that caliber of cokes and managerial decisions, they are struggling mm. in New York as well. I mean, what of you guys, what of the the, the 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 people in the local scene? I mean, yeah. there was this like atmosphere really of uncertainty back then. It, it, yeah, it was, it was insane. Uh, like to be like, oh, I don't know what to do. To be honest, like mm. really, they like will me driving around delivering beer to like <laughs> two three people a day save the business. I'm like, oh my god, like that's a pretty cool idea actually, right? Like yeah, I I I. I'm like, wow. It's, and, and also, until now, since then, I think that we have been able to be like, ah, it's okay. Let's just try things. 
and not care about um whether we whether that thing that we are going to try is going to make money because mm. we must try it first yeah and and like i mean we did like uh, we prototyped like a day of just cycling around so we i sent out a text to like like 10 friends and like let's go cycle and like like visit fmb spots okay okay and that was good enough right like um yeah just in that and i mean we went to like other different fmb spots and like and and found a very nice activity traveling route. in between yeah the routes and and like uh we got to see some like insane like we detoured to like some street where there were like insane like bungalows and just go and see, <laughs> see like some crazy houses and like and then go back to like visiting fmbs eat ice cream drink beer yeah and it was like an amazing day it's like super fun right and um coming back to the money aspect like maybe they didn't spend all at bunker but you know i understand now that a simple engagement like that we easily spend as a as a whole like thousand dollars two thousand dollars right but and that that is that could be something that makes or breaks like certain yeah, entities definitely yeah yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm like oh you know like we there that opens up a lot more things that we can do like or try yep yeah so in in the earlier conversation we talked about different subcultures like music or even dance i'm curious to know your thoughts on the fmb uh culture in singapore is this something that interests you is it something that is growing is it something that is so diverse that whatever taste you might have for the particular day you can fulfill because yeah i mean singapore is usually known for a lot of things and one of them is the food the food you can find at such a ridiculously affordable price as well yeah it's crazy right you can three dollar bar chow me yep to like three thousand dollar fine dining yep what are your thoughts i mean from a consumer point of view as well as a for lack of a better word like an fmb owner in right. a sense yeah before bunker i was the average consumer you know I would eat at Hawker Center normal. Like, I, but tell me one time, I can eat every day. I still can, I still, I still do it, right? But, yep. but, um, ever since I entered the F&B industry, and to be honest, right, I was super surprised at how welcoming the industry was. Yeah. I know there are certain aspects of, uh, F&B that is horrible, like people are horrible, mm. but I have not yet accounted something like that. And I think it's because we are all in the, like, indie growing SMEs, mm-hmm. you know, like those bigger corporations and stuff. I, I think they will be a bit more cutthroat. But like everybody I've met so far in the F&B industry, or like almost everybody, like, uh, are super nice, super willing to share. Um, and it is a industry where you, like, the realities of life just smack you in the face. <laughs> what does as that well. mean? You know, like, <laughs> You know, I, 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 so I, now we have, I have friends like in different levels of the chain of FMB, right? So you have like restaurants mm. and then there are the service providers, right? The, con- the people that people consult for. And then there's like the POS system and everybody sees a different part of the FMB, FMB industry. And the people that, um, do the consultation or the, or the service providers, they see the most, right? They see, 200 FMBs starting every month. 
Wow. And 50% of them dying in the first six months. Like 200 our, studying every month. Our turnover rate is fucking crazy. It's yeah. insane, right? Yep. Like, yep. And like, I, I can imagine like, everybody at some point of time in their life, they'll be like, wow, it'd be nice to own a cafe. <laughs> wow, it'd be nice to own a bar. That was the trend, uh, I think, five years back. Yeah, right? a lot yeah. of people about and, <laughs> and like, I mean, it's, it's something that people actually do. A lot of people, they try their hand, you know, like, and that's why like, you celebrate your first year, like, you are like, oh my God, I made it. Yep. And then, it's the next, next year and the, and the five years milestone and you know, like, if you, if you really can stay there and keep, like, keep it going, like, is is really amazing. It's let a alone, grind, uh. Let alone make profit. It's, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a different beast, uh, like, yep. yeah, the FME industry, but also an industry that, that is filled with amazing experiences. Yeah. So, in this scenario, after a day of work, what would you like to eat? What would you recommend? Eat, uh. Um, I'm like any other, right? We enjoy our shao kao. The a what? China barbecue, shao kao. What's that? It's, uh, shao kao is barbecue, la, but it's the, if I'm not wrong, it's like the... Is it on sticks? Sichuan, yeah. Like mala. Ah, okay, okay. Mala okay. is one of them. Okay, okay. Not, but shao kao is more, I don't really know which part of China, la, but like, it's like Chinese barbecue and they put like this topping on everything. It all tastes the same, <laughs> but like different meat and stuff. Yeah. Um... Or like um, I recently had a senki, what's that? Ginseng, not ginseng. A herb, black chicken herbal soup with miswa, and it's like that them, doesn't them, sound very appetizing. Why it's like herbal soup, ah? Like okay, yeah, like and it's like soupy and like filled with flavor and like, it's like it's like after you drink you go eat bakute, you know? Yeah, it's exactly the same. But to me, bakute is like. Like, I don't understand people eat bakute in the morning, but I completely <laughs> understand the people that eat bakute after drinking. You know. <laughs> but I think what I think what is interesting, um, considering the, the events and whatever Baka Baka stands for, there seems to be an increasing a uh, network of uh food okay F and B as well as like culture related. In, uh, activities together mm. I think what comes to mind is Park Bench I think Park Bench because they're friends of the studio and friends of the podcast as well and they've always been championing um, the the creative culture really they work with a lot of um, local illustrators in the scene to do posters as well and I think it's also indicative of the 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 guy in charge which is Andre like I think yeah, the way he thinks Andre. and then the way he, he really likes and as a fan of let's say music and arts and design I think it, it, it trickles down into the business as well. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And it, yeah, it really, you really need to be like a fan, right? As a, as anybody, right? To, to really tr- even push these kind of things. Yeah. And I, I believe that like, uh, Park Bench is definitely one of them. And even when I was in school last time, like, uh, I remember Artichoke, they got oh, yeah. like one of my, my peers that was also in school to, do some designs for their stickers. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. You know, like, local support local is like, it's something that is, is something that is very, very, um, prevalent in, in our, our, our communities and societies. I, I feel like you definitely do see it. Yeah. And even businesses that have taken on that agenda 
to create their brand, like um, the Lawyer Arts Club, yep. right? Yep. FMB, but pushing the arts. Yep. Right. Um, I think it's a little bit. It's interesting to consider that it's right now, and I guess moving forward, it's a lot more closely related. Like it's not mm. as social. It's not as distant as let's say, oh, the painters and illustrators would be on one end, while right. the FMB outlets would be on the other end. But right now, yeah. it's a lot more like. It's a lot easier for, let's say, a younger illustrator to be approached by one of these SM- FMB industries to throw, let's say, an exhibition or like a really small pop up yeah. just to get a little bit of a standing. Because I think everybody benefits like that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's much more celebrated, the whole aspect of it, you know, like the whole coming together of, and like maybe, maybe the, the lines are not drawn so strictly that yep. like I need you to have like a certain following before I want to yep. be like doing something to get yep yeah so it's very supportive culture and that's amazing so yeah. I think one one last thing um, about the business is I'm curious to know so we both had our pee break so, Kiola, as we left off, what is an aspect of business that isn't talked about as much? I think there's two main things that that is 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 really is like a oversight when you plan on doing business. One is um, how the administrative portion is held, and I think like people that. Are, uh, experience in business, they are very, very much more prepared for this portion, you know, um, understanding licenses, understanding grants, understanding, um, what you have to, to do, uh, just the administrative process. And I think new business owners will, will, will really be like buffeted by this, by this, uh, immense amount of paperwork that they have to constantly read up on and suddenly there's a whole new part of your job that is not a one-off mm. you know it takes maintenance um is it because there are a lot of like holes to jump through as a business to even apply for something or what what is it about it that is so yeah. perhaps detrimental so we we i briefly went into like consulting for new fmb startups as well and you know like a lot of people they they have the dream, right? And like, I want to do FMB business and they are probably going to be good at it. It's just that, wow, you actually really have no idea how to start FMB and, and, um, you might, what's the first thing you will do, right? Find a space, right? Naturally. Say yeah. you find a space mm. and in your ideal situation, you get the space. Then you realize, oh, I have to apply for change of use because it used to be an office. Now I want to turn it. And the government don't allow. That's that's it. Uh. What are you gonna do? You really sign it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, all it's, right, all right. And and these are like super super amateur mistakes. Mm. But it's just one of the many 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 things that can go wrong if you don't have the right paperwork. Yep. You know, and like even now in COVID, I think I if I'm not wrong, if you sign a lease and you don't do your stamp duty, you don't get your grant. You don't get your rental support by the government. Because the government has no track of your rental. Okay. Situation, but just right? a little thing of the stamp duty. Yeah, and 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 when I first signed for a bunker as well, my my friend was like, Did you do a stamp duty? 
I was like, what, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what, what I, mean? I, I got my company stamp. Ah. Like, what do you want me to stamp? He's like, nah, man, you need to do your stamp duty. And he's, and because he was um freelance property agent, he's like, don't worry, I, I, I'll have you sort it out. Yeah, and, and he, I mean, small gesture, huge favor, yeah. right? I had no idea. Yeah. It's not something that is talked about even. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no there's no there's no like resource site. template. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like how to open a business step by step guide, right? You wanna have that, you have to pay someone as a consultant. Yep. Right. And and, and not everybody has the luxury to even pay someone to tell yeah, them to do who, this in the beginning. Which small business owner has the money to go and pay a consultant? Right. And and that is just um it's just yeah, to me I was like I really, really hate doing accounts, the admin side, you know, because it takes away mind, mind space and energy from focusing on what I really, really want to do. But through the years, I've learned that it is something that has no choice. You need to do it. So you need to be objective and set the time and like, you know, to do it. And, and yeah, I'm having a, having a circle of FMB friends always helps, right? Can always ask and stuff like that. The other, the other thing that is very real about, I don't think it's just FMB, but a bis- any business is uh, leadership. Interesting. Right? You don't, you never go to school to learn leadership. You never expect to have to practice leadership when you have to hire someone. Suddenly you are an employer or manager and, and you need to know how to manage people and, it is not something that's natural for everyone. Yeah. And, and being able to, uh, let alone, let alone being able to have good colleague relationships is really tough. You know, like I feel, let alone be able to lead. And, and I think for me, it's a little bit strange as well because I'm quite young mm. and there's the potential of hiring people much older than me. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and that is, I mean, I haven't. Because I don't think I, I can. Mm. Yeah, but um, it is a potential. Yeah, yeah, but it might happen, and and yeah, I think uh, yeah, managing people is something that is going to, is going to to appear as a challenge. I think for most people. So yeah, having been thrust into that position of pseudo leadership leadership of Bunker Bunker or like the team mm. and the vision, what have you learned about yourself? Um, I realized that I cannot, uh, be a boss. Like could you, could you in the, in the traditional sense yeah. of the boss is there to run the business, to make sure that the business stays afloat and, um, to do everything that is, um, good for the business in that sense right okay and and i and i and i i actually i, I knew that from the start like i know I'm, i will not be a good boss because i am very easygoing and i i think maybe um i have to find my own ways of of running the business in that sense and and understanding how and finding my way of um leading the team right and i'm super easygoing and i and i and i i, I think that I have to learn how to play to that trait and use that ca- characteristic of mine to 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 find a leader sh- the way to lead lah. Mm. Yeah, and and for me it's just um, 
I've learned a lot from just interacting with a lot of different people and 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 as uh, stuff I mean right like and different part timers and seeing how everybody works and what motivates everybody and it's always very different yep. but the the one thing that is 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 for sure you need to do is FaceTime you oh. need to you need not not FaceTime as in the, oh okay. right? you <laughs> must you need to have face to face time mm. with your stuff to to you know really understand and to communicate lah in, essentially it's communication right but um it's different when it's true text it's different when it's true call right you need to be there yeah and that's one thing that i've not been the best at as well but I like you know I, it's something that i i've, I've really really realized mm. and i think that there's something that i really try to try to do more of but it's also important yeah. to know that it is ultimately still a learning journey for you la. As the yeah. business grows, as the yeah. team grows, as you mentioned before, mm. as you need to hire, let's say, someone who are perhaps older than you, you will have to adapt, la, really. Mm. I mean, they're all, they're all lessons, right? Like, slowly. And I guess a good thing is that that um, I see Bunker going in a certain direction that that I'm okay with and and probably the F&B is not something that we are going to I mean, we definitely dwell in the F&B industry, right? Because we kind of are already. Just that maybe the, the the traditional way of operations will not apply to us moving forward. So it's uh it's quite fun for me also to try to see like how can we create our own kind of like way a system. Mm. Yeah, I think I think one last question <clears throat> before we move on. What qualities or what points in the leader do you think is the most important? Um. Being able to listen, right? And listening with intent and asking why these things are being said, mm. right? Because a lot of people, they ask for uh, your opinion or they ask um, or they, they communicate in a way where they are like, hey, why don't we do this? Hey, why don't we do that? Or like... um. Uh, I think we should be like that or like um, we should change this, right? And and to knee-jerk and react, right, will be detrimental because you are not understanding the reason why they are giving these suggestions. Yeah, and and this, this is something I've learned from design practice, right? To, to really take a step back and to ask why um, certain things are being said, mm. certain things are being done. And then there's always uh, a deeper meaning or, or reason why this, uh, and that is the actual like uh, issue that you must find a solution to, yeah. Before just like changing, yeah. It's also about would would you say it's empathy or does it go beyond empathy? Because I think listening for intent is mm. a, is a very interesting set of words that conveys you're not just listening for the sake of listening mm. or even listening for the sake of inputting your own opinion but you're right. listening intently as to why the, the other individual is, is saying the things they're saying and going even further to figure out mm-hmm. the the intent of whatever they're saying yeah I, I think you I guess you could say it's it's based off empathy yeah which is which is something that's yeah very important in design and leadership I feel mm. alright I think the 
the last topic I really want to talk to you about is craft beers. Craft beers. Oh, you, you have brought a fine <laughs> yeah. selection of craft beers to yeah. the podcast recording today. I think there's one of chocolate, mm. and there's one. I think you mentioned it's sour. So, I I think the idea of craft beers has always seemed very Western to me, but right. I think in recent years there seems to be, I wouldn't even call it a resurgence, but an exponential growth of people mm. uh, bringing in craft beers or even brewing their own craft beers in Singapore. I think, especially in recent years, like there's a lot more homegrown craft beers. Um, I'm curious to know, um, what is your relation to, I think, craft beers and why do you like them as opposed to, let's say, regular run-of-the-mill like Tiger or Heineken? What is the mm. difference there? Yeah. And why, why do you like craft beers? Yeah. The beer you're drinking is uh, locally brewed. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, and I'm I'm very proud of uh, the local scene and how it has seen such a steady rise. Um although we are as a whole in terms of beer and volumes being sold as beer in Singapore, we are still like 5 6 I don't maybe max 10%, right? And we are still very small as an industry, but it's very vibrant. And I fell in love with craft beer by chance right and just drinking something that I didn't even know was beer and I was like interesting fuck this tastes amazing right and then when I found it was beer I was like oh like what else <laughs> right what else can I find and and I, I went through this whole journey of exploration and 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 it's such a fun and versatile drink just beer it's too simple to just say. It's, I mean, you as you if you brew it, it's a beer. It's a beer, but under that umbrella, there are like hundred eighty. Now with new styles, there are maybe like two hundred plus styles of beer, right? And and in that two hundred plus styles of beer, you can find every single spectrum of flavor, which no other uh, vehicle of an alcohol drink. Uh, can provide vehicle of alcohol drink. What well, that is a yeah. term. <laughs> wow. Right, because I mean, it is it is on par with finding flavors in cocktails when cocktails are mixed drinks, mm-hmm. and you can find it in a beer that is that is just one a one once off process of brewing. Yeah, and um, I think beer is. It's so it's so fun that way, lah, you know. And and we are so spoiled for choice in Singapore now that um if you want to drink one beer every day, you will not it, w- it won't be a problem. Oh wow. To drink a different beer every single day. At the rate that beers are being brought into Singapore yep. and the number of suppliers and the number of different beers that they are bringing in. Yep. Yeah, and it's it is it is insane. Lah. Yeah, but it speaks to the, the the very interesting demand for it, even the diversity of it. Because you mm. let, let's say for bunker, you guys are the one bringing in and I guess selling it to people. Right? But for a consumer's point of view, you're just exposing the the new wave of consumers to beers that they might not even know of. If if you guys mm. or other people don't 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 bring it in, right? Yeah, and people will be growing up consequentially with the the new wave of craft beers that you guys bring in, or even like the local ones. Yeah, so I think. Um, in a few more years, maybe five, ten years, I, 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 I expect craft beer to, to be a normal site. Yeah. And then maybe then we will be able to bring up the topic of why it's called craft beer. 
right? And in comparison to the big boys, the commercial beers, right? For me, the main difference, essentially the main difference, right, is that craft beer and commercial beer is all beer, right? Yes. But the reason why we have to call it craft beer when actually it is the, the proper way of brewing beer is because um, we need to draw a comparison, right? Craft beer is defined as beer brewed by hand in small mm-hmm. batches, mm-hmm. right? And there is inconsistencies. And commercial beer would be uh, just a product brewed in insane volumes, yep. right? And the, the reason why it doesn't taste like much is because of how they wanted to produce mass volumes but to keep a consistent flavor. So something will be sacrificed. Something has been sacrificed, right? And it has gone through many, many iterations of consistency, consistency, until that it tastes nothing much now. <laughs> so it can consistently taste like nothing much, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, and and my my only gripe with mass-produced beer is that it's not good for you, la, right? If you are going to drink mm. and get drunk mm. or if you are just going to drink anyways put something good in your body what do you right? mean by it's not good for um, you mass produced stuff has preservatives that's what gives you your hangovers that's what gives you that oh, insane headache interesting right? um, yeah I don't get hangovers because I don't drink that stuff right even though I do get drunk sometimes <laughs> yeah and then um, essentially you are drinking um a pseudo beer, I guess, because beer is the is is termed as malts, water, hops, and yeast. Yep. And um, to save costs, uh, commercial commercial brews will put in adjuncts, so they use less malts, which are expensive, mm. and then they add in cheaper sugar alternatives like corn uh, and whatever whatever you you may have, and it's just a it's just a mishmash of like a like so it's like a hybrid that's not like yeah. a pure it's like, really to drive high volume high profits kind of thing yep yep and no no nothing bad about it it's, it's still a business right like, yep but um, yeah I mean and if you look at alcohol tax in Singapore right the alcohol tax for a can of beer can easily be two three dollars right and then if your beer that you buy from 7-Eleven is three four dollars right you can you imagine how much you're actually paying for the beer you're paying for the tax you're paying for the tax and if you are going to pay for the tax anyways right put in that extra like three four dollars and like drink something that's tasty drink something that's i guess in a way like better for you yeah is it a known fact that craft beers are generally better than uh commercial beers oh sorry so the terminology is common yeah is it generally a a known fact I don't think so. And, and I don't think it really matters to the general consumer. Yeah. And, un, 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 until you, but you know, if people are, um, aware of what they eat and what they drink generally, like now people want to know what goes into their food. Yep. yep. Right. Like, and like, there are better choices. Yeah. Like and, there's and, like the and like impossible. To, yep. Yeah. Seek better choices. I think the information is there. Um, the barrier 
to entry is still education, which is tedious. But uh, slowly, lah, I think there is... Uh, I mean, the industry shows it, lah, that craft beer is definitely like on the rise. Well, it seems like a very daunting, um, even like a choice as a consumer to me. Because I remember, not not locally, but back in New York... When you go to the to the grocer, you look at the mm. beer selection, and it's fucking overwhelming because there's crazy, like yeah. so many. And <laughs> let's say you only have money for one. <laughs> where does one start? Okay, so the 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 question to you is, where will one start in I was this particular say, like journey? Yeah, I to be honest, right? I I I would say buy whatever is looks good, <laughs> whatever you're comfortable buying. Okay, in terms of price. Right, because after all, it's, it's like alcoholic beverages are a luxury. You know, you know you got it's it's money that you spend, right? Um, so I would never try to persuade someone that thinks that like a twelve dollar beer is ridiculous over five dollar beer, mm. because you know there's no point, right? Yep. But until you you maybe get a chance to try something that is like how I did, right? Like I didn't even know it was beer and I tried it and I was like, whoa. Yep, yep. Then after when I found out the price also, I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, you know, but like now I'm like prepared. Like yep. maybe I'll drink two less of the commercial beer and drink one of that. But I think it's a journey. And and one good way of getting into um beers or I, actually just exploring, right? In is that understanding that Singapore has so much um, options of beautiful flavors you can put in your mouth. What does that mean? <laughs> whether it's food or drinks, whether it's beer or cocktails or natural wines, or, yep. you know, there's always an option of, you know, something to suit your taste. Yeah, something to, yeah, like if you're going to spend some money, you're going to drop some cash, like, you can make it a beautiful experience. <laughs> like, no problem in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. Is 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 there like an agreed upon standard uh, begin, be, beginner type of craft beer that someone should start with? Um, There are definitely easy styles. Um, I mean, the style that attracts most people are IPAs, right? Like, mm. everybody knows what IPA is now, right? Yep. But it's actually, it's, a, it's just another style of beer. Um. It's usually quite fruity and and a little bit more aromatic bitter. That's why it 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 presents a white a super super big contrast to the commercial beers that you have drank before. Yeah. And then you're like, whoa, what is this? This beer, right? And then like you're like, okay, you know, like I'm going to like try, yeah. And to be honest, there are more accessible, more affordable options as craft beer. Right or I mean, just as a small step up, just you don't need to think of it as like oh atas beer or anything. You know, mm. it's just a, another beer that is more expensive maybe, but is definitely more flavorful or like pro- uh, just provides an option of a different flavor. Yeah, and then that's where you start, like I guess. Then you will like start to try many, many, many. But I think it's generally quite amazing to see the the rise and even the, the the pervasiveness and the consistency of like local brewers, like even them uh selling to other stores as well. Mm. And I think that is pretty cool. Yeah. Local brewing is is uh is still very new to Singapore. But have you tried it yourself? Brewing? Yeah. 
uh, I have homebrewed. Okay. Right, as a... Drinkable? Drinkable, okay. but like... Any awards? You, you, no, no. <laughs> far from it, man. Like, so, you know, homebrewing at the very basic level is easy. It's like baking a cake. That's that's what our mutual friend Charlie mentioned before. Oh, it's only mm. these four ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you stir in a pot <laughs> and you let it sit to ferment, right? Yep. You spend maybe $70 and you yield 20 over liters. That's a lot of beer, man. Right? But then if it sucks, right, you have to drink 20 liters of sucky beer. Or, I mean, you don't know. You can pour it away. La, but yep. like, you know, it's there. La, like, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Yeah. And, and so I've, I've made a few batches of homebrew and like, I, it's fun to do, but like I prefer to drink good beers. Uh. Like <laughs> what I know is already good, right? And yep, yep. Yeah, I put like um, I chopped up like all these pandan leaves, okay, and put it in a stout recipe, okay. And when it was done fermenting, right, I opened the ferment fermenter, and the whole room smelled for some reason like goreng pisang, like ripe bananas. That's is that good or bad? bad man like, it's bad okay. because, because there was no pandan taste at all <laughs> any sense of any pandan was gone you know there was nothing so it smelled like growing prison what did it taste like so it tasted like a watered down stout with ripe bananas it was weird okay, that one okay. I bought with okay that one I bought with <laughs> okay yeah but, but is there yeah. a lot of okay it always seemed to me that there is a lot of creativity and even artistry in the craft of home brewing. I think the reason why I say that, I mean, right before us or me, you brought like a chocolate beer. Mm. And I remember a project that we as a studio, we did with Charlie. He he linked us up with a couple of brewers that he know so that we custom like three different flavors. So he was asking us, oh, what do you want? Uh, If we want something sweet, you can do the meat. Then you can put the honey. Then you can put this. this. Then it's like, is it like going to a shop and just choosing whatever one then you can come into a beer? Is, is it like that? It seems like the, the possibilities are like so vast but a lot of people just think oh beer tiger beer Heineken but like this aspect mm. of it is quite untapped uh, Fuse, yeah. yeah so that's where I mean the whole understanding of what beer really is like what we have been exposed to the last 50 years of Singapore is, is just the commercial stuff and mm. and maybe a bit of the Belgian and the, the German stuff and yep. and that is just like the tip of the iceberg in beer right and brewing is is such a long tradition act like our practice that you know you you can brew a beer with the HO recipe and it's fucking solid and then you can go crazy and experimental and also get something solid but like you know it's it's just something because it's alive it's yeast you're dealing with like yeast and it's oh. it's it's not a, it's not a like it's not like making two <laughs> flavors put together it's a something that is alive you know it's okay. yeah it's like fermentation right it's it is fermentation and, and there's there's so many variables in that in that aspect and like I mean you can say beer is simple four ingredients but what malts to use what hops to use each of them have hundreds of strains of different um, variables and flavor profiles so it's I think it's uh, to be a good brewer is is really a, it's like it's a craft uh, it's, that's why craft beer right but yeah some brewers are really like artists they can really I think they can really 
um, smell and see what is going on and just like by instinct just Even like adapt on the fly yeah la. like you know like change something last minute and just you know like I think some of them are really 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 good at it yeah has there been any uh, local craft beers that has piqued your interest mm, I would say uh, our our local craft beer brewing scene especially in the last 2-3 years have been pretty amazing, right? Um, I think people are much more like they they know what kind of level they want to be at before going commercial, right? And I mean, last time there are other breweries that will come up and just like, hey, we are local, we are brewing beer, and there's no longer that entitlement mm-hmm. that is the expectation of quality, yeah. And and I think. Like like this one that you're drinking from Niang Brewing and um Live Brewing, two these two breweries that we have collaborated with and created are like a bunker brew. Mm. Yeah, and, and they they really do like like really good stuff. And for me, I still think like uh Brew Lander, one of the, the OG Singapore breweries, craft beer craft beer breweries, they are they are the one really pushing the 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 level of what a local brewery can be and constantly pushing good products yeah what as as a final question to this oh what? and land city meadery what's that yeah so bring in like a uh, it's a local company they, they although they brew out of singapore but it's because that's where the the base ingredients are so meat is um just honey water and yeast yeah and it's a beautiful beautiful drink as well yeah and and something that is uh Pretty, pretty new to to the whole FMB scene as well in Singapore. Yeah. Did it surprise you that the the local scene is so um, exponential in their growth? Did it surprise you? Not really, because I have to say I was quite fortunate to start drinking beer quite like and like to try to start exploring craft beer quite early on, and at that point of time when we started drinking, the scene was so small. Everybody was, was friends. And especially when I met Charlie, Charlie and I, we grew up dancing, but, and then suddenly I see him drinking beer. And then he would invite me to all the other parties and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then I was like, how oh, got so many people drinking beer, home brewing, or then, where is all the, where are the bars that, and where are the local breweries? Yep, and yep. you know, at that point of time when you when you when you say like, hey, start your own brewery, lah, people are like, whoa, you know, like Yep. I mean it's it is a big undertaking. It right? is, yeah. But because then, you have the equipment, you need yeah. to store it. If it's a bad batch yeah. that you were saying, you have to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, long, and, and but then now I think like people are like, you know, I believe that the market is there. We are ready, you know, like take um take the leap of faith, make some beers. Yeah. Because it's also interesting to consider perhaps in the future it could also be an export item as how Tiger Beer was ex- is exported to mm. other countries like local craft beers can be exported yeah. to let's say like Taiwan, Japan, Korea and yeah, stuff like so that. so yeah. Blue Lander is already exporting to Taiwan. Yeah, and and there's also the the how, how to say like the ecosystem of breweries that are already established, right? And then like Niang, they are gypsy brewer What's that? where they they um they contract to uh existing uh, a facility to use their 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 stuff uh, to brew their equipment to brew 
because like they don't have their own brewery, they can attach themselves. Yeah, and so it's a I bit more nimble, was, uh, yeah. Yeah, like so they there are these options now. Yeah. So the future is exciting. Super. Super. Yeah, I think it, because yeah, like I said, beer is such a versatile beverage, and it really. To be honest, I think there's like really too many styles up, but yeah. <laughs> to, to you lah, but to to me, it's it's. It all looks the same, but I'm more attracted to the art. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, one one yeah. huge thing as well, you know. Like, yeah. So I I also realized that like you know that if we collaborate with a brewery, then we immediately have this label as a as a way of presenting local art as well. Mm. Yeah, and that's 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 amazing lah. You know, yeah. I think to 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 cap off this point personally, what do you look out for in a good beer? Like, what does a good beer look like to you? Look like uh, yeah. or what is a good beer lah? Essentially, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I I think because flavor is so subjective, um, the the best the best beer is 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 whichever you are. The best beer is the best beer you've had because. What's this un- cop out answer? <laughs> no, because until you try the next mind blowing thing, you don't know ma, right? So the last best beer you had is the best beer. Okay. Yeah, and 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 to be able to like open your mind to accepting any kind of flavor, right? Um, uh, is is the first step, lah. Yeah, to to go from like, um, maybe a salty, sour, low ABV, refreshing, crispy, fruity beer. That's a lot of descriptions, right? Oh. All the way to like um a fifteen percent. Bourbon barrel H imperial pastry stout with what, habanero. That's and, a, a lot of descriptions yeah, of beer. Right. So it's, it's, there are endless options as long as the brewer can come up with it. And still, um, encapsul- and encapsulate all the different things and make it taste good. Yeah. Right. Very it's, it's a, it's a process uh, that has been slowly getting crazier and crazier, right? So last time is Imperial Stout, yep. high ABV. Then they barrel aged the Imperial Stout. Then the Imperial Stout, they put in some maple syrup. And then after mm. they put in some chocolate. And then they put in chilies. Then like they just like keep trying to you know, push the boundaries. Yeah. So what does the bunker beer taste like? <laughs> um, The first one we did was a sessionable. So sessionable means uh, a lower ABV that you can session with, like drink many, <laughs> right? So we did about like 4%. Um... Four percent. We did a yeah easy drinking like IPA. So we did uh, a hoppy dry hop. So dry hopping is uh, the part of the brewing process where after the boil, the beer is fermenting. You add in the hops. Okay. Yeah. And there's wet hopping as well during the boil. You put in yep. the hops. Yeah. So that that both of them yield like different flavor profiles lah. Yeah. So we did a super dry hop, which gives you a lot of uh, uh aromatic forward kind of uh fragrances. Uh, that was super easy drinking. And then we did it in collaboration with Gravy Baby, which okay. is, yeah, Gravy Baby is, uh, she's one of the first few pop-ups that we did together as well for food. Mm. Yeah. She does Peranakan, uh, modern Peranakan fusion. And then, um, because she's, um, a designer and art director, she designed the label. That's tight. Yeah. And then we, we made the label as a sticker pack. No, it's tight. Yeah, yeah. So everybody gets, get, you get your beer, you get, 
stickers. Not you know, it's a like, good party. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the second one we did with Nyang. We also did a sticker pack. And then we did, but this time we did like a 8%, I think, or 7%, like a stronger one. Yeah. From what I could gather from the, the past 20 minutes, it's like, it's, it is highly customizable to the finest degree. Because you, you're yes. just throwing out, oh, we want 8% and we want it this yeah. way, that way. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in, in its very technical aspect of brewing, everything can be calculated. Mm. But then there is the magical part of fermentation where you also not so sure. <laughs> like you can, you can make it super technical, but then yep. to let the magic happen, you must allow that. So it's a bit of like loss of control there. Yeah, you just like let, let go of the reins a little bit and see what happens. And that's when, that's where brewers can really experiment, I think. Yeah. All right. The, mm. the final question I have is, what does success look like to you in 2021 right now? Whoa. I think um, one very, very important thing to 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 keep track of in these times especially, right? Or in any business lah, is to to identify and celebrate small wins, right? Like maybe for example, right, like say uh we just did Kempong, but this is what September? October. October. Okay, let's say September, okay. So say for example September, the whole month Jialat, right? And then but we still have Kempong as an event. And you know, oh, you know, Kempong did pretty well, right? We still have to celebrate and acknowledge that small win. Because that that is the energy that will snowball to better and good energy and, and to really push um push a, a push morale and all of that. And I think with that as an example, then success right now to me is is um maybe having to set at, at least for Bunker, right? We keep keep the train moving and then we set short term goals and then just try to like little by little like inch our way. Because I feel like we cannot like uh give ourselves unrealistic expectations. Mm. Especially in times of uncertainty, there isn't any point of like in the next six months I want to do what, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe more of like uh, checking back as well. Like, is everybody in the team okay? Like, how is everybody mm. going to push a certain um, idea or project, idea yeah. or project, you know, like, and and just just making sure that everything is still kind of like on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's okay. I mean, success to me isn't really defined by just the money part, which is very important. A lot of people are like, either it's money or it's not money, it's like <laughs> happiness or something, right? But like, I think it needs you need to find a balance there. Mm-mm. Yeah, and and if the money part cannot be like the the main main thing that right, then there is always the other aspects of like um company health and mm. mental health and yep. and morale and yeah, just personally being okay with life and things like that. Yeah, I think the first step is really to realize that 
it's not a binary decision between money yes or money no it's yeah. to realize that it's a balance mm. and that money helps a lot mm. but it's not the end or be all yeah 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 I think I think yeah I'm I'm quite um thankful that we are in Singapore, especially during the COVID situation, because I I think many many businesses overseas are will suffer a lot a lot more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like the nightlife, the F and B, the yeah. bars. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like our government is giving us grants and monies and support. You know, like and that's like wow. You know, like at least we have that. Uh, you know, yep. yeah. So I think, yeah, for me, success now is maybe celebrating the small victories. Yeah, man, and and all the all the, I mean, all the collaborations, lah, right? Yeah, I think what we can do is like look like extra far ahead, maybe, and like keep that the social network going. Yeah. All right. Before we end, is there anything you would like to talk about? Hmm. I talk about so many things today. I just want. To say, like, I think we can still find silver linings, I guess, right? And this is tough times, but, you know, like, we are, we are, we are built to be quite resilient, I think. And, 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 uh, I hope that people come together with the right people around them. And, and, and I think we can still do amazing things. Yeah. That's a, Perfect way to end off. Um, thank you, Kyola. Thank you for your time, the conversation, and the beers. Ah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.